0: I, I read a, an article that's entitled uh, Christmas Grinches Thieves of Joy. Uh, it was a takeoff of uh, Dr. Seuss's story, The Grinch Who Stole Christmas. And the article named several Grinches or thieves that can easily take joy out of Christmas. There is the secular thief. I know exactly what this one looks like. He is an inflatable Santa Claus, nine feet tall, on a skateboard made of credit cards. And he arrives right after Halloween. I guess in the States that would be after their Thanksgiving. Another Grinch is the spiritual one. This is the one that suggests we should not have a good time at Christmas. And then there's the circumstance Grinch. This is when Christmas is dampened by difficult circumstances, which can occur during the Christmas season as at any other time. And we all know that, and those are beyond our control. And then there's the time Grinch. He is a bad one. He looks at first like a sort of innocent calendar, but if you let him get out a hand you suddenly look at him one morning and he has dropped all his leaves but one and developed a leering face and two hands that are racing round and round and he is muttering tick 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 that's probably the one that uh, rattles most of us because it's such a busy calendar this time of the year but I think we all know that it's very easy to be distracted from what Christmas is all about because of all the trimmings. And uh, interesting, and this Grinch even talked about the spiritual one, it's possible to be so serious and sidetracked and solemn that that in itself can take away. But what is the main event? And. Uh, It's all about Jesus, we know that, and there are so many different ways that would be, I would say, legitimate ways of summarizing what the main event is. God so loved us, or Jesus came to be our Savior, or even simply the birth of Jesus. And I'd like this morning to put it in this kind of a summary, the main event I'd like to define as the meeting of two worlds the meeting the intersecting of two worlds there's the ordinary world of camels shepherds sheep travel a teenage girl having a baby with all the fear and the pain and then Joseph and taking his little family into Egypt Refugee family. But then there's also the other world, the world of the supernatural, the world of miracle, the infertile couple, John and Zachari- uh, John and John having a, I mean John the Baptist being born in that season to parents who are beyond the childbearing age. The miracle of the virgin conceiving the world of angels from heaven and yet visible and audible on earth it's an intersecting of these two the world of heaven intersecting with the world of earth the eternal intersecting with human history and the most awesome and profound example of this in fact i think it's it's really the focal point of the whole thing And that is that which is taught in John chapter 1, verse 14, where it says, The Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. An astonishing verse, really, when you think about it. And it really summarizes what the whole main event is all about. In this uh, chapter, well-known chapter to most of us, I'm sure, uh, we, we see that the Word always was. Go back to the very beginning. In the beginning was the Word. It doesn't say that in the beginning the Word came into being, but the Word already was. Go back as far as you can to the very beginning. Uh, that means that the Word here, whatever he's talking about here, the Word never had a beginning. It always was. And uh, that harmonizes beautifully with Genesis chapter 1 where it says that in the beginning God created the heaven and earth and then it goes on to, to show how he did it and it lists the various aspects of creation. In each case, God spoke and it happened. The word, let there be light, let there be this, let there be that. And uh, then we see this in the Psalm uh chapter 33 verse 6 by the word of the Lord were the heavens made their starry host by the breath of his mouth and so here in John 1 it says that the word was with God and the word was God. John here is showing that on the one side the word can be separated from God and yet on the other hand the word is God and is with God. And of course that's the mystery of the Trinity god in three persons and uh... if i were to tell you or if anyone were to tell you that they understand the trinity then you probably say well you know you're not <laughs> i don't really believe that because it's beyond our comprehension but there are different analogies that are offered that are i think helpful as long as we don't think they're the last word and i want to give you a, a little bit of a personal one And again <laughs> not meant to be a last word and not something to land on but something to kind of develop our thinking a little bit and to ponder it a little more but in uh, 1998 our youngest son Jonathan was with an organization called uh, Mercy Ships it's a Christian organization where uh, they purchased uh, I think for you know goodbye some of the older ocean liners And uh, then they make hospitals on these ocean liners, and then they go from different ports where uh, the people really need some medical attention. And then they get some medical people to volunteer for a couple weeks of their time. And so they pull up to those ports, and then they process the kind of people that want some help and the ones they're able to help. Well, Jonathan is not a medic, but he went for discipleship training the first uh, year, and then he was... Invited to come back to help them with the discipleship program, but uh, we lived in Winnipeg, and uh, they spent he spent on his ocean liner most of his time was at the port of South, not just the port but the tip of South Africa and inland too of course and uh, if you are to if you were to put your thumb on the, on the Winnipeg in the globe and then Sort of reach across towards the South Africa, the tip of South Africa, I think probably it 's about as far away as it can possibly be on the continent or on the on the you know the, the globe on the world he 's a long ways away, and of course, there were emails, and we really appreciate those. But you know his mom really needed to hear his voice there 's just something extra. When you hear the voice, not just what he's able to put into writing. And so once in a while there was that phone call. Now, here we are in Winnipeg. We're listening to Jonathan on the phone. It's Jonathan. But is it really Jonathan? Well, yes and no. I mean, Jonathan is in South Africa if her house were to burn down and that phone were to be destroyed it wouldn't really affect Jonathan physically because Jonathan is in South Africa and yet it was clearly Jonathan that was on the phone and maybe that's a little bit helpful in understanding how God the Father but God as he expresses himself the Word of God is the Son maybe that helps a little bit but it's it's a point of interest and that's what it says here that the Word always was, the Word of God, and all things were created by Him. Without Him, without the Word, was not anything created that was created. Now look again at verse 14. That voice, that expression of God, the Word of God that always was, had no beginning ongoing eternal but now something that happened in history in a point of time something that you could mark on the calendar the word became flesh astonishing the word became flesh amazing and that's what we call the incarnation God and Jesus becoming man What does it mean? What are the implications? This morning I want to talk about simply two ideas that are part of what that means and practical implications. I want to talk about the fact that it means God identifying with us and secondly it means God communicating with us. Identification and what we might call revelation. Identifying that somehow in the person of Jesus, he became one of us. Sharing, entering, becoming man. Entering into our kind of experience. And and, uh, the word becoming flesh doesn't mean simply his physical body. But more than that, he took on human nature, became a human being. It means he participated in man's creaturely weakness. The very word that created all things now becomes part of that creation, now becomes a human person. I often refer to the writings of C.S. Lewis, and uh, frankly, if people are considering Christianity, a good place to start is simply to read that little book called Mere Christianity. He doesn't get into the details of whether you should be Anglican or Lutheran or Baptist. He deals with the basics, exactly what it means, what the Christian faith stands for. And in his plain folksy British vocabulary, he says the second person in God, the Son, became human himself. God became human himself, was born into the world as an actual man a real man of a particular height with hair of a particular color speaking a particular language weighing so many stone the eternal being who knows everything and who created the whole universe became not only a man but before that a baby and before that a fetus inside a woman's body if you want to get the hang of it he says Think how you would like to become a slug or a crab. Yeah, God becoming human. And not only now is he God, but as it says, he is fully human. And then it goes on to say that he dwelt among us. He made his dwelling among us. We dwelt among us and we saw his glory. And uh, some of you have probably encountered this before, but that uh, expression, made his dwelling, could also be translated, he pitched his tent among us. And you've seen that. And that has echoes from the Old Testament, uh, including and especially the tabernacle. Uh, The tabernacle was a tent in the wilderness, and God made his presence there in that tabernacle and his presence known among the people out of the tabernacle and then later he presenced himself especially in the temple and so here the teaching is that God takes up residence in a human person living among other human persons but not as a mere observer or a spectator not as a spy who pretends, you know, sort of goes incognito and maybe a Russian spy pretends to be Canadian or whatever but he was the real thing not a pretender but the real thing I just read uh, the other day uh, an expression there was a Roman poet by the name of Terence and he wrote a line that at one time was famous and this is the line I am human, and nothing human is alien to me. And I thought of Jesus. I am human, and nothing nothing human is alien to me. And when you say, What about sin? Well, he was tempted, and he bore our sins. And so, even though it doesn't mean that you accept everything, you understand everything. He was fully human without ceasing to be God. He became one of us fully involved and he didn't simply arrive you know to say well here's a here's a mission i need to accomplish let's see i need to go to the cross and then i need to wait three days before i rise from the dead and then the other 40 days and then i can ascend and it's all done mission accomplished an extremely difficult mission but no he went through the whole process i think there's a lesson there for us in what we might expect as we represent Christ and what we can expect of others most people who are atheists don't become committed Christians overnight there's usually a process process for almost everybody for wherever they are to the point of becoming committed disciples and followers of Christ well our Lord was conceived he spent nine months in the virgin's womb just like us He was born a helpless baby, just like us. He also needed to be nursed and diapered and loved. I love that little song, (laughs) Away in the Manger, wonderful, sentimental, but there's an expression there, don't you believe it, enjoy it, but don't you believe it. And the little Lord Jesus, no crying he makes. (laughs) Come on. (laughs) He went through the whole process. I like the way... uh, Philip Yancey writes it, he says that the God who roared, who could order armies and umpires about like pawns on a chessboard, this God emerged in Palestine as a baby who could not speak or eat solid food or control his bladder. He depended on a teenage couple for shelter, food, and love. The God who knows no boundaries took on the shocking confines of a baby's skin. The ominous restraints of mortality. The ominous restraints of mortality. And as we read in the Gospels, we see that he had to learn things just like us. That he had to grow physically and socially and spiritually and intellectually just like us and that he was subject to his parents authority and came under their training and discipline obedient to his earthly legal father and to his mother and of course he was tempted like we are all tempted yet unlike us without sin and he entered into life as it is for so many with its troubles and its trials isaiah 53 says he was despised and rejected by men a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief folks whatever you whatever you're going through and whatever we will go through he's been there he understands he's experienced suffering and it's so relevant today it always was but somehow i guess with television we see so much of it now and uh... it you know you can pick so many examples but one one of the atrocities that's being reported on regularly now is the persecution of a particular Muslim group in Myanmar and Friday night there was a clip that was pretty heart-wrenching it's in the context of Pope Pope Francis being there with the people and then there was this picture of a 12-year-old orphan girl saying that she no longer feels joyful after Myanmar soldiers slaughtered her whole family and wouldn't you just love to scoop up that 12 year old and bring her to your own home and in my case to be your grandpa you know but there's so much horror out there so much evil and he identified with all of that he came into that kind of a world and he identified even further without any guilt of his own he identified in, in a sense where he could bear it, where he could pay the penalty, go to the cross on our behalf, Uh, taking the judgment that was ours so that we can be forgiven. God so loved the world, we say. Well, you know, one of the best expressions, one of the strongest evidence of really loving people is entering into their way of life. You know... Missionaries understand this. They go to a country and to relate to the people, they start to eat their food, they start to live according to their culture, live in their conditions, enter into their routines, and that's what God did in the person of His Son. He came into our world. He identified with us. He lived our kind of a life, though without sin. He came to be one of us. Swindoll puts it like this. He says, Emmanuel, God with us, He who resided in heaven, co-equal, co-eternal, with the Father and the Spirit, willingly descended into our world. He breathed our air, felt our pain, knew our sorrows, and died for our sins. I'd say that He entered fully. But what an affirmation that we matter. Is there purpose to living? Does it mean anything to be human? Created in the image of God and our worth so affirmed, so confirmed, God entered into our kind of a life. Identification. But secondly, there's revelation, communication, the Word, the expression of God, the communication of God became flesh he not only identified but as he identified he revealed revealed what God is like revealed what God's will is for our lives and I think it's fascinating the original Christmas is just filled with communication from God the intersecting the heaven and earth communication from God there's the angel Gabriel speaking Speaking to Zachariah that he and Elizabeth would be the parents of John, the forbearer, forerunner. Gabriel also appearing to Mary. And the wording there in my translation is announcing, announcing, communication, that she will bear Jesus. The angel of the Lord speaking to the shepherds. I bring you what? I bring you news, Communication. Jill and Stuart Briscoe have written. At Christmas time, God God cups his hands over his mouth and shouts at the top of his voice so that with all the din going on and around them, human beings might hear what he has to say. Listen, I've got great news that will bring you glorious joy. Well, he's called the Word. The Word was made flesh. Flesh in our experience words words communicate they communicate information they communicate facts and ideas and concepts but they also communicate the person Uh, when you have a meaningful conversation with someone you hear the words but you know what you're not only getting that information like email as I said about uh, my wife how she needed to not just see the words but she needed to hear The sound of the voice, and that's the way it is when you meet with somebody over coffee and it's eyeball to eyeball. Uh, You know, you're not only hearing the content, but you're hearing them. You're hearing something of them, their body language. As we were driving this morning, my my wife reminded me of how uh, I still have a little bit of an old habit, but it was really bad at one time. And that is, as I was preaching in my learning years, I would be sticking my tongue out and sticking my tongue out. I wonder what that communicated emphasis or I suppose nervousness (laughs) and and you may find me doing that not when I'm preaching probably but in other occasion but you know there's more to communication than simply the content of what is coming out. but the words communicate the whole experience communicates the person and so when Jesus came into the world he came as a teacher who communicated through his words the very will of God for his people but not only that he also revealed God to us the text says we beheld his glory God's glory is in the display of his person and then in verse 18 it says that no one has ever seen God but the Son of God has revealed him he not only revealed words that convey the ideas and His will, but He revealed God to us, and especially in John 14. And it's that familiar chapter. We're all familiar with the first part of that chapter in my Father's house are many mansions. And then a few verses down, I am the way, the truth, and the life. But then just after that, Philip, one of the twelve, said to him, Lord, show us the Father, and that will be enough for us. And Jesus answered, Don't you know me, Philip, even after I've been among you such a long time? Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. In his coming, in identifying, becoming one of us, he expressed, he revealed, he made known, he communicated the person of God to us. So in trying to understand what God is like, what is God like, especially look at Jesus Christ. And I don't think there's another religion in the world that uh, can say that if you want to know what God is like, just look at this human being. That's what God is like. Wow, What what a wonderful way of communicating to us what He is really like. Have him come to us in the person. What is God like? In terms of what is practical, in terms of what we need to know, in terms of the model, in terms of the standards, look at Jesus Christ. And there's something unexpected about that, and that is that God's glory, and as taught in the Gospel of John, isn't seen mainly in the miraculous but it's seen in the small in lowliness with which the son of god lived for men suffered for them not only a god of unlimited power but he's also a god who comes down comes down to our level in humility yancey has a wonderful observation about this he says in the story of christmas god exalts what is small and then he quotes priest from a couple of generations ago or centuries ago, he says, God is great. The cry of the Muslims is a truth which needed no supernatural being to teach them. Everybody can understand that. God is great. But that God is little, that is the truth which Jesus taught man. Willing to come down to the smallest and then teaching that God honors smallness and makes it something amazing and so the miracle showed the glory of christ but in a deeper sense it is the cross of shame that especially manifests his true glory john 13 31 now the son of man is glorified and god is glorified in him And that is in the context where Judas has left the room and he's about to go to the cross. And he's saying, This is the hour of glory. (laughs) Wow. You know, there's something that kind of corresponds there God becoming a little baby. And now the very glory of God is going to the cross on our behalf. The main event God becoming man the intersecting of the two worlds. He's a God who identifies. He's a God who communicates. But I want to conclude by saying that, you know, a message of Himself, a message of His will is only helpful when we accept that and when we follow. Because He didn't come just to teach wisdom. He didn't just come that we might... Want to consider another philosophy of life? He came calling people to himself and to his teachings. He came that we might accept his authority over our lives. After all, he is the Lord Jesus Christ, and he asks us to make him Lord over our personal lives and that's really the most basic call of Christmas he is the Lord Jesus Christ Luke 646 says why do you call me Lord Lord and do not do what I say and so that is the gospel call many years ago many of us enjoyed a gospel song related to Christmas and it asks the question Do you worship the babe in the manger, but reject the Christ of the cross? As Christ followers, we too want to not only accept initially the Christ of the cross, but we are called to follow him. We are called to be practicing members of two kingdoms, Christmas means the intersecting of the kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of this earth. And we're part of both. We're part of this kingdom of this world. We enter into its culture. We speak its language. That means we can cheer for the Oilers. And it's easy to do that today, isn't it, after last night? It's part of the culture, part of living in this world. And yet we intersect with the kingdom of heaven by representing well the values of that kingdom and participating in the mission of that kingdom. Let's pray before we sing one of the best carols related to the intersection. Father, thank you for calling us to yourself. Thank you that you're We are called to live in this world and yet represent your kingdom. May we go from here doing it well. In Jesus' name, amen.